Welcome to Letters and Legends. I'm your host, Trevor Maloof. This show is about history, literature, mythology, and everything in between. In this first episode of the show, I will be discussing the book The Brendan Voyage by Tim Severn with Zeb Gerard and Andy Hughes. The back cover reads, Could an Irish monk in the 6th century really have sailed all the way across the Atlantic in a small open boat, thus beating Columbus to the New World by almost a thousand years, relying on the medieval text of St. Brendan, award-winning adventure writer Tim Severin painstakingly researched and built a boat identical to the leather cura that carried Brendan on his epic voyage. He found a centuries-old family-run tannery to prepare the ox hides in the medieval way. He undertook an exhaustive search for skilled harness makers, the only people who would know how to stitch the three-quarter inch thick hides together. He located one of the last pieces of Irish-grown timber tall enough to make the main mast. But his courage and resourcefulness were truly tested on the open seas, including one heart-pounding episode when he and his crew repaired a dangerous tear in the leather hull by hanging over the side, their heads sometimes submerged under the freezing waves, to re-stitch the leather. A modern classic in the tradition of Contiki, the Brennan voyage seamlessly blends high adventure and historical relevance. It has been translated into 27 languages since its original publication in 1978. Tim Severin's biography reads, Tim Severin, explorer, traveler, author, filmmaker, and lecturer, made his first expedition while he was still a student at Oxford, following the route of Marco Polo on a motorcycle. He has also recreated the journeys of Ulysses, Jason and the Argonauts, Sinbad, and Sufu which required sailing across the Pacific on a bamboo raft. And without any further ado, here's my conversation with Andy and Zeb. Okay, we're here for a nice conversation about Tim Severin's The Brendan Voyage. We're joined by Zeb Gerard. Yeah, Luke. And Andy Hughes. Hello. And Andy... Um, I'd like to hear how we first, as a crew, discovered the Severin story. It was our own voyage of discovery, wasn't it? Um, well, you had a book that was called The Sinbad Voyage. And on the cover was this um, like unbelievable picture of a sailing ship in the sunset and I just remember thinking, what is this? And I think you and I were both fascinated with this book. And it had all these pictures. And we read about it. And we read that it was made by this guy, Tim Severin. There were these pictures of him with a beard. He kind of looked like Phil Collins in the 70s. And he was in the under the deck of his ship, pouring over his maps. And I had this book on loan from you, I want to say, for like five years before I actually read it. At least, at least a couple years because it was just like so amazing just to have. And I just was like, I don't know if I'll ever actually read this. And then I finally did read it. And we talked about it. And then over the years, you and I both just got really into him. And the Sinbad Voyage had, you know, if you like uh, Tim Severin, 
look at these other books and we're like, there are other books, there are other voyages. And it opened this whole world. And one of the things I really want to mention is that like, nobody really talks about this, <laughs> about Tim Severn, like in modern life. Uh, you don't really hear it that much, uh, but I'm just like so amazed that he's not more well known considering what he did. And we can certainly talk about the absurdity of some of this, but like, um, yeah, he was an explorer and he would, uh, or adventurer, I guess, and he would make recreations of famous or mythological ships and go on these different voyages. And yeah, <laughs> Trevor's doing a boat sign with his hand. And um it turned, you know, as we were reading more about him, the one that kept coming up uh, and sort of his big claim to fame, and I think his breakout sort of voyage and book was the Brendan Voyage. And I actually had not known about St. Brendan before that. And I, you know, we can talk more about this. But, um, you know, so this, finally, you know, Trevor, you had seen the documentary, you'd gotten us all into this, and I finally read the book. And, uh, yeah, I could see why this was kind of a phenomenon at the time, because it is like just such a like wild thing to even attempt to do and i think it also has made a huge impact on uh the scholarship of that time in a way like if you look up saint brendan or any of the names like associated with him you will eventually find tim severin like he is connected to this so i think uh you know, this has had a bigger impact, arguably the biggest impact of anything. It's like the thing he's most famous for doing. So that's kind of just a little background on on Tim Severn and these books. And I would recommend, even if you're listening to this, don't want to read them, like pick them up and look at them and like look at the pictures in them. and Because it's like, you'll see this and you'll be like, this guy really does this? He really makes these giant sailing ships? And yeah, so it, it is <laughs> pretty astounding. Okay, great. Now, we're going to talk about the specific story. We Severin has done over, he's passed away, but yeah. he did about t over 10 of these voyages. Yeah. I don't have the full list. Um, we, could, we could take a look at that full list, but he did many, and the Brendan voyage was not his first. He no. had done a few before, and he had researched them, and went went along and did this voyage and i think this is sort of like his the apogee of severin i don't know if that's <laughs> true he did some other really crazy trips but this is like the one that got him the most renown yeah. now i'll do the quick reader's digest of how i got into severin which is that i discovered this when i was like 10 and it was, what is this book? And similar to what you're saying. Then I gave it to you. But you bought me my own book, The Jason Voyage. That's right, yeah. So I have The Jason Voyage. That's the only Severin book that I own. Later, I started looking around for as much Severin stuff as I could find. And I found interviews with him. And I found The Brendan Voyage for the first time. And then went to visit you two at a, at your apartment. Yeah. Does this make sense? Yeah. No, I'll yeah. remember. <clears throat> yeah, Zeb. That, that yeah, part I definitely is, remember. So this is when Zeb is coming into the story. So I explained <laughs> this and I said, well, you know, the fact is he sailed in a leather shoe to Iceland because it's it was in the shape of a shoe. It looks like a shoe. It's been bound like a shoe. 
this thing is a shoe, and he sailed this thing to uh, Iceland and then Nova Scotia, and then someone said to you, "Yeah, it was, uh, it was the woman I was dating at the time." It's, mm-hmm. Said, oh, "How okay. how can you all find this so fascinating?" <laughs> <laughs> to which I responded, "How can you not? How can you?" He sailed a shoe to Canada. How, not the most fascinating thing that you've heard recently. This is oh my, my thing, right? It just, it just sort of feels like we should be talking about this more, right? Like, doesn't this feel like kind of a big deal that nobody... Yeah, mentioned? it should yeah. be shouted from the rooftops. There yeah. was a guy! His name was Tim Severin! He made replica ships! <laughs> ships now there was a guy i think that inspired tim severin and i think andy knows about him a little bit more than me that is it tiki what is the name of it oh yeah thor hired all the con tiki guy con tiki okay yeah and that was in the late 50s or something right and that was a raft might have been earlier I think that was a raft. They were trying there. to prove that the Polynesians could could navigate the islands. Isn't that what that was about? Okay. I never read it. I know. So I, tr- I thought I tried you read to, it. I'm you not, just read an yeah. Wikipedia article. I tried about to it read college. that one time, and actually, I tried to read that. Funnily enough, when I was on vacation in Iceland, and I think I was just so tired because we were like going on hikes and stuff, that I was just like, I can't get through this wall of text about rafting. But um, but yes, no. Th- it's mentioned in the book. They talk about Contiki. So. Yeah, yeah. Which book? The Severn. Book? In Brendan Voyage, they, there's a reference. Maybe oh, it's just in the go. introduction, but there is a reference to either Thor Heyerdahl or. Well, Contiki. you're going to be our yeah. content expert on this because. <laughs> but let's just. There's nothing more to be said about Contiki. It just probably was the inspiration. <laughs> For Tim Severin. And I do know that he went on his motorcycle Marco Polo journey for college at <laughs> Oxford with the former <laughs> Prime Minister Boris Johnson's dad. <laughs> yeah. And, his, and, and what he said about it was the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. <laughs> so Shots you could take in how much you want about that. So, oh, here's the list. Yeah, you have the whole list here. Well, there's some additions. I, I made a okay. list. And I now, for, some... now, for looking for Rip Van Winkle, did he fall asleep <laughs> for 20 years? That was a... so. Uh, I was looking for a special potion <laughs> that would put me into a coma. For which so I, I was, was not awakened for of... 20 years. I... <laughs> I gave specific instructions not to cut my beard. Yes, I was abandoned in the wilderness in upstate New York. I had to wear penny loafers <laughs> and uh, long no, made... socks. All right, go ahead. No, I was just saying that I just I made it what Trevor's referring to is I just made a list and I added some fake ones in there just to show that one did not. The happen. Santa Claus Odyssey. Odyssey. <laughs> no. <laughs> in search of Moby Dick did happen, right? And probably yes. was very unsuccessful because that would have been. A whale that think... had died hundreds of years earlier. <laughs> You're not going to well, find it. I know, and if we're going to be technical, that never existed, and the inspiration for him died hundreds of years earlier. Yeah. Wait, why did but... it never ex- 
Because he's in search of Moby Dick. That's a fictional. But the, Essa, the actual but the, whale was Mocha Dick. Yeah. Is that the one that sunk the Essex? Maybe. That was the real one that was based on it. But did it... I, the Essex is what the story is based on. I right. don't know if that's the way... I don't think they were able to get a, you know, post to Instagram what the whale was and say <laughs> it was... I mean, unless they said it was white. It was a white whale. It sunk the yes. ship. Me and my best friend, well, and also, like, we were joking about it in our text thread. It's like, if you read Moby Dick and you're like, this sounds fantastic, I gotta go hunt this way. Like, maybe you didn't take the best lessons away from, from Moby Dick. <laughs> that you should but, hunt whales? Yeah, <laughs> if it made you really want to track down Moby Dick, then maybe I you need didn't. to learn how to hunt the whale. This book is um, all about how great it is when you chase after a giant white whale. I mean, I course. think everything needs to be... <laughs> So much can be said by the fact that this man was born in 1940 in British-occupied India. And I, I, I feel like out, that I says read, it all. I, he, I read it. I think his father owned a tea plantation. I don't know if he was born oh, on the tea is. plantation. Yeah, Traveled the route of Marco Polo. Here, You've got it all yeah. here. <laughs> Recreating historical or mythical journeys became his thing. Yep. You know, some people get into knitting. You know, some people like to bake. He wanted. I to heard it. There is an interview with him on a podcast where the guy's talking to him, and he's like, "Well, I was never going to work at an office job," and I was just like, "Well, <laughs> I guess some people they're just you know, it's just like so." The logical <laughs> next step was to go build a giant shoe. And... Yeah, where are you getting your fund? <laughs> Who's funding you for this? There's so many things that are not in that I would love to have found him and ask him who gave you the money. We can talk about that because that is something he mentions that in the second half of the journey, they were running out of money. And he was like, I was scraping the last of my funds to get to the, yeah. Well, maybe he was like skipping from project to project. Like the first project was small. That was the Mongolia one. Then it skipped up a level. Yeah, and that you know, was he's just, getting a little bit of money. We did that in drama, uh, drama club. Like, <laughs> yeah, drama, we did, drama club. We made no money, and then we made a little bit of money, and it was kind of going up, and then also, and then it kind of goes down again. Like you start mm. losing money, <laughs> so he probably started to lose money on his projects. I I would love to know which of these was the most expensive journey, like the Jason voyage or the. Jerusalem right. voyage, or, yeah. Well, certainly the one where he had to go to Hong Kong in a some sort of a what was it? Yeah, there was a, a thing skiff? where he <laughs> didn't he go down the was it the Yangtze River? I can't remember, but he went. He did like a giant river thing, the River of Dreams, <laughs> Billy Job. Okay, so we've got um, some pretty good, a pretty good start here. So, Andy, you're the content yes. expert. <laughs> yes, I am. I am for this, for, for this. Um, tell us, why, why do you like, before we get to Brendan, what draws you into the Brendan's uh, voyage story? Yeah, um, well, as I was saying before, I mean, I think it's the scope of it and the uniqueness of it, uh, the fact that it is it was a super ambitious uh, project. Um, 
I don't know if maybe we should, because I don't know if we've actually said, uh, I think you did mention it a little bit, but basically it was uh, attempting to prove whether or not uh, either Brendan or other uh, Irish monks or Irish people who lived in uh, the fifth century could have possibly sailed as far west as North America. And using uh, technology and tools of the era, trying to replicate a boat uh that would have been around that time, like feasible, and then try to go uh, as far as possible and see and see if people could cross. And that was part of what made it. So I, I think that's part of why it's sort of his big, uh, like you said, his apex is because I think this was a big deal for scholars of the time, whether or not, you know, it's considered serious scholarship or not. And to his credit, he points out in the book, like different things, you know, diff- different, uh, uh caveats you can have with it and um we can get into some of that later or maybe in a later part but he admits that like look all i'm doing is testing the boat the only thing that's ever going to prove if this ever actually happened if irish people came to north america in the fifth century or sixth century is if they find physical evidence in north america which you know from a cursory google as far as i know to date they still have not so um, he, he admits that this is mainly just to test this boat and see if it's possible to put this boat to those circumstances. And uh, the fact that he did make it sort of he's he comes across very much as a believer um, that they could come over. And I think he makes a decent case. But there are certain things that you can definitely uh, take take issue with in his reasoning. I think he definitely cherry picks some things. But it, it was just, like I said, such a spectacular idea and, um, you know, the the grandness of it and also just kind of the, like we said, sort of the absurdity of being willing to do this. Was, was Both of those things kind of drew me and I think all of us to it. Uh, I think because you have so much more knowledge about uh, about St. Brendan and, uh, and the voyage itself, um, I think the, the thing that I wanted to comment on uh, which is more in a, in a general way, what we're, what Trevor and I anyway are trying to do <clears throat> is piece together parts of history that aren't so easy to discern. So I think this this fits really well into that category because, yeah, for sure, people aren't going to scour the, the shores of Nova Scotia and Newfoundland to see if maybe there's some random Irish skeleton and like, they all supposedly came back alive except for one person that they maybe left somewhere. I don't know. Um, like what would they even find like a, an Irish toothpick. And so I think it's, it's wonderful that somebody is using their imagination here to try to fill in those gaps. And so in this case, it's Tim Severin is like, well, at least we could see if a boat could make it there. And then we can answer the question. Yeah. Was it, was it even possible and then from there, like, well, at least we could probably say that he sailed to Scotland or something. And you know, maybe he went all the way to Iceland. Wouldn't that be crazy? Um, there's no way we'll ever know for sure. Uh, I mean, that's not true. It's it's possible that they'll find that toothpick on Iceland, but like that's not going to happen, I'm pretty sure. It's unlikely, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So so we so so we're left with uh educated guesses. Um yeah. So I guess that's a uh, that, that's a good lead into a very direct question. Like, was this an educated guess? Uh, do you feel like Tim Severin had the data going into this to even ask the question? Is this reasonable? 
No, uh, he actually, um, it, it, it is laid out, like, again, I think he does a good job of making his case, and this is part of why I like this one. I think this one was a better read. Than, I, I don't think the Sinbad Voyage is a bad read at all, but I think this one is a little more captivating because he's making the argument, and also he, he's just, there's a lot more to describe in terms of the relationship with his crewmen and the various things they see. But it begins with, there's a whole chapter called The Idea. And he, it, it comes across as very, like, I don't know, quaint, the way he talks about it, where it's like he and his wife, because his wife's a liter or his wife at the time, his first wife, uh, is a literary scholar. She, I believe she's now, like, professor emeritus of literature at the University of Liverpool. So she was uh, discussing about, you know, the way he's like, one night we were just talking about uh, Brendan the Navigator, St. Brendan. And um, she said, you know, if you read this text, uh, there's too much detail in it for it to be just fiction. And so the way he puts it in the book is that that starts the snowball of, uh, well, if I look at this book, you know, if I look at the, the text that was written about him, like there's these specific directions, maybe I can extrapolate from that. And I think like the portrait he at least gives of himself is that he starts with these details in the medieval text then goes to people in Ireland because I think he was living there at the time and starts asking about the boats. And um, I have a theory that I've said before that he's the sort of person who he would have found a justification to do this no matter what. But I do think part of why it's more um, engaging than the other book, and I have to imagine, you know, more engaging than something like the Moby Dick book um, is that there is compelling there's there's enough compelling him because it's kind of like a few steps away from ancient aliens you know it's like it's not like something where you're like okay i really you know this didn't happen let's stop putting shows about this like you said zeb we won't know for sure but there's enough there to kind of get him going so i think it was the combination of the material um from the middle ages like the the sources written about him the most like famous source about him which we'll talk about later and talking to different craftsmen because there's you know multiple chapters where he's talking to he goes from like worker to worker and they're like oh you need to talk to this guy you need to talk to this guy this man is the best leather worker you know he gets he talks to saddlery people and so he gets information from them about what the materials can do he has this information about the text and he combines them and so I, I he was going into it with some data and at the end of the book there are tables of all the tests they did on the boat so you know, it's not like I said. There is like some some serious rigor behind it. It's not like he's just making it up, um, and that that also kind of impressed me that it wasn't just you know because it it seems I feel like when we think about adventurers, we think about like Richard Branson or like rich people like Jeff Bezos or like rich people who just like go screw around and don't really know what they're doing. And at least here, he there did seem to be some some data and some genuine interest in the medieval history. Yeah, I think that's that's probably what I'm most curious about too. Is uh, I'm going to butcher the pronunciation, but the Navagatio or like yes, uh, what uh, I guess what what stuck out to you for one like uh, that Tim Severin could have even pulled from like were there things that were historically helpful or was it just a fanciful recounting of a priest like diving through the seven circles of hell <laughs> well how about uh do you mind if i just kind of do an overview of brendan real quick just so yeah 
Yeah, because uh, I think that'll help. All right. So who we're even talking about is uh, Brendan of, and you know, I might butcher this as well, but I believe the English pronunciation is Brendan of Clonfert, uh, also known as St. Brendan and Brendan the Navigator. Um, historically, we believe he was born sometime between 484, maybe 489 CE or AD, um, you know, around late 5th century in Tralee in Ireland, uh, Southwest Ireland, uh, in the area now known as County Kerry. Um, and they refer to it as a hand, but I think looking at it, it kind of looks like a foot, which is why it's also kind of funny that he's sailing around in a shoe because the bottom left of Ireland kind of looks like a foot. And if you think of it as that he's in like, you got like the four toes and he's in like the pointer toe or the pointer finger if you're, if it's a hand. So that's where he was, uh, said to be born. Um, he was raised uh, to be a monk and studied under another saint, Saint Enda, and ordained supposedly in 512. Um, he founded uh, multiple monasteries, uh, and he's known as Brennan of Clonfort because that's one of the monasteries he founded supposedly in 561. Um, the book associates him with Saint Patrick, and I think other people also associate with him partly because he was born not too long after, about 20 years after the death of St. Patrick, but also he's one of the, I think they are both uh, part of the 12 apostles of Ireland. And I didn't list all of them in my notes. You can look them up, but um, you know, they're considered the the saints of, of Ireland and the Irish Catholic church. Um, but uh, like St. Patrick, uh, St. Brendan was associated with uh, converting the pagans, converting the Celtic people to Catholicism. There's a lot of things named after him, a lot of towns and rivers, places, in other countries so like in the in territories like the Faroe, Faroe islands which he gets uh, part of the voyage takes tim severin and all of them off to um they believe that he died sometime uh, around 570 or as late as 583 i think he says 578 in the brendan voyage there's another source i forget where i got that um and he's buried in clonfert uh, so the Navigatio, the Navigatio Sancti Brendani Abatis, which I believe is the voyage, voyages of Brendan, St. Brendan the Abbot. Um, it is, like you were saying, uh, a collection of stories kind of told very episodically, almost like um, the Sinbad stories, or it's not done in verse, um, as far as I know, but almost like the Odyssey uh, and the version that's in the book in the Brendan voyage is said to be very condensed. They talk about, we have stripped it of all mystical material. We've tried to boil it down to just the geographical elements. Cause one of the, the big pillars of this book, the Brendan voyage is that Tim Severin argues that this Navigatio, uh, although it seems to be a collection of tales about how we went to different islands, different fanciful things happened, met sea serpents, you know, there's an island uh, with like different groups that wear different colors, there's an island full of magical fruit, you know, all these different things, there's an island of devils, or the, uh, they call the Isle of the Smiths, where fire comes out of it. And his argument was that these were based on real voyages that Brendan and other people of that era took. And there's too many of these things that match up with the real geography and the real landscape for it to be a coincidence. So that's what he was, what he was saying. And, you know, I, I think there's some cherry picking going on there, but the basic idea was there was that um, because it also mentions, there are mentions of numbers. Uh, there are mentions of directions. The directions aren't necessarily consistent. Um, 
the big one is that uh, at, at the beginning they talk about sailing off to the promised land and they sail westward and then later they sail eastward from one of the islands. But Tim Severin actually brings this up in the next chapter, which I thought was funny because he was like, you may be wondering why, you know, if they sail to the east. And he's like, well, the reason is this thing's been copied so many times and the words they were using you know, it was copied by monks and passed around throughout the generations and the words they were using were inconsistent. So we can't, but the word West is used enough times to refer to the promised land that we think that that is new. So that's his argument for why he thinks that this is about sailing to the promised land and the promised land is Newfoundland, North America, which, you know, maybe that's not everybody's idea of promised land, but that was, uh, (laughs) (laughs) that was what Tim Severin argued. So that was just an overview of so, and the Navigatio gets mentioned throughout the Tim Severin book. Yeah, are you are you heading out? Oh, sorry. Um, I got a few more minutes. Okay. Okay. Anyways, I'll wrap up that section. Basically, he uses different things mentioned in this mythical text or this this sea story text. Um, and tries to make the connection throughout the book where it's like, we saw this thing. This must be what they saw in the book. And I know you guys also watched the documentary and they do that in the 70s documentary as well, where they'll cut to illustrations of the different things that they see. Honestly, this this just kind of reminds me of, uh, Andy, you're, you're in my adventures in Wyoming <laughs> where we were, we were instructed to follow a path north <laughs> yes <laughs> instead of instead of north with an m yeah. <laughs> um, go m go <laughs> go go north for three miles and i i think that that's kind of what's happening here right that we have wait excuse me what i don't even know what this is i don't we i missed this story that was very funny yeah. <laughs> we downloaded these these directions on onto my phone because we knew we were going to lose service and then we realized when we were out of service and could not download any more directions that uh, at, a, at a certain point, we were pretty sure that it meant to say west, but it said east instead and, yeah. had, and had a W on it. So it was just like, we east. And we're like, I think, it, I think they mean west and not, and not west. And then further, further down, it just said go more like this is like old english yeah go well, I feel like that's what happened here with the navigatio yeah just, <laughs> yeah it, more it, it was west for a while were these were these like, were like handwritten uh directions no just poorly typed poorly. yeah oh, poorly typed okay. somebody somebody put in an m yeah instead but when you're when you're like driving on a dirt road somewhere in rural wyoming and you need yeah. to get to camp before sundown and you're that's my favorite place to be <laughs> and it says <laughs> my favorite place to be is on a dirt road in wyoming you know when we i went over the it. same one multiple times because we were trying to be like where are we possibly going and there was like somebody's big house looking at us yeah i i don't know if i've apologized enough for how ted trip. Uh, <laughs> not ted nugent but the cnn mogul Oh, uh, t- Ted Turner? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, certainly a, <clears throat> certainly a number of apologies uh, need to be sent from my side as well, which yeah. <clears throat> may be a good segue back to how Let's many just kumbaya. We're, yeah. we're going to have yeah. a big kumbaya. How, yeah. how many apologies did Tim Severin owe to all of his crewmates for his whole life the direction he that he minutes. took? Huh? 
<laughs> he needed penance his whole life for almost getting them all killed number of times. Oh my god. Well, this is like, so I enjoy being the center of attention, and I also enjoy having, right. being like the reporter, like I'm the reporter that's come back from this book. Yeah, that's, the, that's what yeah. I'm going for. Yeah. And now we have to try and find all these guys. <laughs> so that are still alive like we can get the guy to come on yes i was uh, i was on the boat well, they, i don't know you see german i don't know how to do an iceland i was on well, the I boat yeah i don't even know what a pharaohese person yeah sounds i was like. on the yeah. boat okay <laughs> no i'm doing the drawing I knew Severin. he was a he was a weak englishman <laughs> <laughs> he knew a lot about history there was an awkward uh news clip i saw that was like the severed voyage reunion and the only person that they yeah, I watched that. That I saw who was from the original crew was tim severin and they're sitting on like <coughs> the skeleton of a boat and there's yes. like a piper yeah it looked like he was sh- it looked like there was like he was shaving a shish of gyro meat yeah, yeah. i don't know what was happening there was like Swarma. a spinning <laughs> Like, what is happening here? I'll try and find the link for you, Zeb. What do you... Do you want to talk about the crew, or... Well, I'm wondering if Zeb wants to say more stuff. Yeah. No, I feel like... um, I feel like we've we've touched upon the main thing, and so if I'm heading out and... Yeah, I'll just send an email. Keep talking. Um, We'll keep chatting. I think the general avenue, and we'll, we'll probably end up doing this together, all three of us, again, anyway, but um, the thing that I'm always curious about is, you know, how do we how do we get back to historical Brendan yeah. and how realistic it is? Sure, I think that's a big thing, too, but also, like, the why of it. What, what kind of world was it where uh, they decided to set out in a leather shoe? Um, I think that's that's what I'm most curious about. Like, what would have yeah. what would have prompted him to take a voyage at all? Which it seems like he did take some sort of voyage. Yeah. And then, and then, what would have prompted Brendan somebody voyage. to write uh, a apocalyptic odyssey about it? I think that's that's what I'm most curious about. Though I am also curious about you know the voyage itself. I think for me, it's more about like what was happening in the in the 500s through 900s that that brought us this wonderful tale that may have some tie to historical events <laughs> okay yeah no that's cool maybe um if we do a part two we could like i don't know have those questions written down or something or or i don't know just have have some structure so we know to talk about that stuff yeah and yeah. either way uh if i'm heading out here probably about a minute um <clears throat> i think what i'll do because i i have no job starting friday whoa um, is I'll I'll listen to the second half too, where it's just the okay. two of you, and then I can probably fill in whatever questions I have the next time that, that we sync up. Yeah. All right. That sounds good. I don't know. I mean, you could you could dig deep into this Brendan well. <laughs> I know. Yeah, it just depends on what we want to do. Yeah. yeah, and I think it's all part of the same narrative here. Like, I think what we're trying to target the other interview that we've had. Um, that's more about. Hadrian's Wall and like the fall of the Roman Empire and the British Isles like this is this is very germane to that topic too that you know what happened after the Roman Empire fell in Ireland well they sailed somewhere in a leather shoe we're not sure where um so I think I think it 
it dovetails in nicely with the stuff that we're already talking about. Um, and I feel like just St. Brendan on its own is deserving of an entire episode and potentially two interviews. A series. Yeah. Well, and like I said, like you guys, I think, have know more of just history in general or more historically minded. And I, I just really get into like fables and I, I like to say I, I do myths, not history. I just remember them more. But one of the things that the real world things that comes up a lot is just the sheer um expanse of the catholic priests in ireland at this time and just like how quick how fast they were expanding out they talk about anchorites and all these different colonies and monasteries that were supposedly spread out all over the islands so there's definitely historical background of like how the church was expanding and gaining power you know um what you know why this idea of brendan traveling around finding the promise and why that was you know important and resonant with people um and all the different people that they expanded to like yeah i definitely think and their relationship with the vikings as well uh yeah yeah i think i think that's that's profoundly interesting especially so in this case i don't know if saint patrick was native to ireland is that was he born he in ireland to, as well yeah i don't i think he actually was not but because a lot of our famous monks in history were missionaries they came from somewhere else they yeah. came from france or sometimes yeah. africa um and I think that it's 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 supremely interesting that it has become like an Irish folk tale. Like how do we build this Irish identity <clears throat> around how Christian we are when they weren't at the time? You know, in in the four to five hundreds, for the most part, the Irish were not Christian, and then it becomes a label of oh, this is what made us Irish when it was actually like over time just hundreds or thousands of missionaries showing up to be like hey have you accepted jesus christ as your personal lord and savior and then meanwhile vikings coming from somewhere else say, hey have you accepted thor as your personal lord and savior like all of this was happening while somebody sailed in a leather shoe well and we don't have to necessarily get into this but i also thought about the fact that you know tim severin's an englishman living in ireland i mean he seems to have a good relationship with irish people but giving orders to you know members of his crew are Irish. This is the seventies kind of a fraught time in Ireland. Mm -hmm. Like I wonder if the, you know, the impact, I mean, I think he got funding to talk about the funding thing. Part of how he did these voyages was through um, historical societies and governments. I know the, the Sinbad voyage one, I think he got uh, funding and support from uh, Oman and the Sultan of Oman. Um, but yeah. So like the whole thing of, of, basically like hey i'm here and i know that you guys hate the british but let's all build this irish boat together and go sail together we're all friends now. so like i wonder how you know when they're trapped out in the ice flows and the the british captain is telling them to do these things according to tim everything you know the crew all got along fine all the time but i wonder like you know about those relationships as well everybody was yeah. from different countries pretty much uh irish english Faroese. Um, different countries in that area and they spoke some of them spoke different languages all the, the crew members there was a norwegian guy yeah well we can run through some of that yeah i think this is right. probably well, good, anyways, good yeah, time yeah, to so it's parting yeah uh parting thank is you such so much sorrow oh thank you for thank you for doing this andy i think it'll be a it's a lot of fun for me uh and b i think we're gonna get a lot of knowledge out of it too after zeb left Andy and I continued the conversation about Brendan Voyage. Now, we could 
don't have to be totally linear here, but let's just jump to, you know, the sh- the ship itself because we haven't yes. talked about this. It's, it sort of reminds me of Star Trek: The Motion Picture, which about forty percent of it was just looking at the ship, <laughs> and that that might be too much in here. But we could do a good chunk about the ship. Oh yeah. So let's 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 dig into this ship here. Absolutely. I believe so. Do you, sorry, I believe if you have a do you have a copy of this book with you, the Brendan Voyage? Yes, yeah, I have right the Brendan Voyage. Yeah, I have the Brendan Voyage, the Complete and, Idiot's Guide. I have Brendan like, Voyage yeah. for Dummies. I yeah. have the how Glance to, how to the voyage West. to Brendan in ten days. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I'm just I, asking because my book has a schematic at the back which shows you the diagram of Brendan. Um, I believe. There was a reference that it was 36 feet long. Yeah, his design was for a boat. Oh, yes, I have overall, it. I have this. With a beam of it. eight feet. I have. Oh, my Possibly goodness. Possibly meters, because this is British. It looks it looks scary just looking at it, like having to step, <laughs> step into it. And it's this open boat Yeah. with, what, with a capsule of canvas. Yes. Yeah, so the boat. So one of the big things they talk about in the book is that there are these uh, Irish uh, boats called carags, which are like canoes, and those are made of canvas. But he's like, so in the Navigatio, they say oxhide. So we have to make this boat out of oxhide, and that's um, I think. Yes, I over I remember the- that part that they tried every type of leather. Yeah, and they all dissolved into water, <laughs> and you're going. This is making me very nervous. I would be very nervous if every leather I tested was dissolving into a glass of water. <laughs> One of my favorite lines, I'll have to go back and find it, is he's talking to some expert and the guy's like, if you take this out to the ocean, it will be pulverized into jelly. Like the leather will be... Well, he does that classic writer thing where he's opening in media race at the beginning of it cuz now right. we're skipping we're skipping away from the ship and going right so but okay. anyway we're starting at the beginning of the book he's in media race in this um storm yeah they're only a few days out from ireland right yeah and he's kind of like trying to get some shut eye in this in the ship or not the they have this little tent and he's trying yeah, to the, sleep. The cabin, yeah. And he's immediately awakened to this guy going, huh, like, how did this happen? Why is this boat so... <laughs> and they almost get run over, like, completely yeah. destroyed by a huge cargo ship. <laughs> it's so... It's so like something. And my immediate thought is, oh, this is like what teenagers would do, where they're just not really right. realizing how dangerous this is. Well, and I think that's another thing. <laughs> it's such a wonderful, because, it's a wonderful moment. Yeah, well, and I think part of what why this book is so interesting, or like why we get so fascinated with it, is because it's like that combination. It's like you know, reading it, that there was all this preparation that went into it and stuff, but it still kind of feels like a dare or like something they just kind of it's did haphazard. Like, yeah, it and also it really. Yeah. It really fits to the feeling where he's the middle of the night manning the oars. He's like, I've at this kind of man's folly where he, yeah. he is thinking, <laughs> oh, I have a way to get out of this with uh, the oars. And they're all on the, starting to try and move it, the, the, sh- the boat. But it, 
the ship is it a ship yeah. or a boat it's, it's a, a ship i think it's it's so tiny ship, it's technically know. a ship i guess that yeah. there's got to be a, has to do with how how much of water displacement and how many people right. can fit on it and things yeah. like that but anyway what's so funny about that and i feel like it says so much about everything he does is that it would have done nothing mm. it didn't move the boat fast enough out of the way yeah. it just yeah. they were lucky and the other large boat missed it right and that's also another thing he brings up a lot is he talks about brendan luck where he's like well we just had the luck and like um <laughs> we were saying also like i'm kind of a skeptical person by nature and like a lot of this stuff you're just kind of like really was everybody really like it makes it seem like a like everybody was great oh everybody was fine it was happy you know and it's and you kind of think like no i bet people were scared that they almost ran into this giant boat um, but well, he makes he, it sound he, like a yeah. He's he's co- co- constantly putting down his other crew members. Oh yeah, but it's yeah. weird. It's weird the way there's he writes some, about them. There, there's some moments of it, and he, but the writer thing I was saying is that he transitions from being on this boat to it's made of a thin skin of leather, <laughs> and then it and then it goes into the next paragraph. Yeah. Like he's talking here, and I guess that's also. You know, and if, if this were the movie version, it would be Tim right. Severin in his whatever weird medieval canvas. Did he make them all wear? That would have been the kind of cult leader no, side, as yeah. if they all had to wear medieval dress. He did not do that, and he, that yeah, that would have been. I, and then, I wonder. And he said, "We can't have a radio on board, <laughs> and we all have to drink like wine out of <laughs> out of the stuff." And you're like, "Okay, now this yeah. guy." It's on another level. It would have like, it would have ended up just being him alone. Nobody. Yeah. Where does it, it Where does it end? You know, that's what you want to yeah. know. Well, he did say that's what I said. He he made a distinction at one point. He says we were testing the boat, not ourselves, because he brings that up. He's well, listen, like, yeah. <laughs> to this, no one could tell us how to steer our boat through the gale. <laughs> mm, that's that doesn't sound good. No. no boat quite like her had been afloat for the past thousand years or so <laughs> yeah. or so so yeah, maybe yeah. 1100 years 900 years yeah yeah i mean yeah i know boats you know from the past 500 years to a casual observer our craft looked like a floating banana <laughs> long and slim with her tapering bow and stern curved <laughs> gently upward now that's an uncomfortable hey. description of this boat that he started. I was going to say we're gonna we're gonna just you know glide past that. And then he's watching the waves. I recalled. See, there's that word. This is the writer. Yeah. Uh, the switch where now he's going to a past event. The bleak warning of one of the world's leading authorities on leather science. <laughs> Before we started our voyage, I, I'm going. You know, when you build a boat, you really don't want to need to talk to a leather science expert one would hope you're making out of fiberglass yeah well i kept thinking when i was watching it like the video thinking like we could have made it out of more modern uh materials but our probability of dying would have been less probable (laughs) would have been less and where's the fun and and adventure in that so we had to make it out of oxide of course (laughs) this is um... i love the paragraph i think it's maybe it's like a page or two from where you are where he says i turned and looked at my crew because that's like a very 
Yeah, right see, that's what you were trying. You were and saying he that starts, he was... And then he starts describing each one. It's like, that felt like something from a movie. Where it's he like had he sort of taken on the... Uh, right, he was like the leader, and these were his... I don't want to say minions, but like his his followers. Well, he's always... Because like you said, the thing about insulting them, he it's not overt. It's more like he's always trying to frame things as like this is like a grand adventure and he does talk about like the bad things that happen but it's just like these weird ways that he describes people or like unflattering ways um there's the whole thing with peter the cameraman where he talks about him and like makes it you know he makes it seem like he gets along fine with the guy and likes the guy but he's kind of acting like because like in that paragraph he's like i looked at my crew i knew rolf the hardy sailor would be all right but peter the cameraman from the city was he yes. was worrying me and so there's a little bit of coding well, of like he's a Peter. city boy yeah <laughs> <laughs> yes you yeah. indeed read the same book as i um, uh, isn't aren't copies amazing isn't that amazing peter 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 struggled with the helm trying to turn <laughs> brendan away but the wind had locked us on what seemed to be a collision course this is where they he's talking about the um, the thing almost ramming them, those cargo yeah. ship. Oh yeah, the idea. Yeah, no, we gotta find this. Where's this thing? The the I looked at my crew. Yeah. So for me, it's page six. It's right after the paragraph that ends with "While Brendan tobogganed down the waves." Well, it, this thing of why on earth then why my, were my crew and I sailing such an improbable vessel in the yep, face yep, of a almost, you're almost there, yeah. rising gale? Is it later? Or yeah, it's a couple paragraphs after that. It's basically like him saying, yes, oh, that's is, yes. me. I looked at my... Yeah, that's interesting. I looked at my crew and wondered if they appreciated <laughs> the situation. George, I knew, was well aware of the danger. He was one of the best sailors I knew. Um, Rolf, this is what you're yep. saying, knew the yep, risk. He was guy. from Norway, but Peter, the cameraman of our team, worried me. Not so. <laughs> oh, Peter had sailed single-handed from England to Greece in his own boat, and he so he was no stranger to the sea. But now he was looking rather glum. I wonder why. <laughs> well, and also he was feeling the pain from damaged muscles that he had strained two days previously. <laughs> And spoiler alert, that's why he eventually leaves the crew. Yes. Because his doctor well, tells him, yeah. Stop roaming also, a boat in the middle of the... <laughs> for the one of the serious personal problems that he just write, I wanted to write parenthet- parenthetically, get me off this boat! Yeah, I was like, <laughs> my serious problem is that I was stuck on a boat. <laughs> oh my god. Arthur, the youngest member of the crew, was totally oblivious to danger. Yep, there you go. There's that kind of backhanded... And now he's saying, I only had three men from a total crew of five who were in a fit state to handle Brandon and the gale picked up. You can see that he's having some feelings of... I don't want to say... Maybe not hostility, but it's like a kind of... this. You didn't meet my expectations. Right. And it's, now well, that it's I'm... sort of underhanded. Yeah, that's what I. There's a little bit of like, 
you know, kind of like like we we're saying, kind of like backhanded compliments or sort of the the fact that he does it. He kind of considers himself, you know, he. I mean, he is the captain, so and he tries to be. He, he always portrays it like they get along very well, but. So let's let's walk through the building of this ship. Yeah. Okay. There, uh, there isn't going to be some perfect linear way of going about it because this guy didn't even he started it in the middle of a storm where they almost got hit by a cargo ship. So I feel no comp- compulsion to uh, go in any particular order, but you can't have a voyage without a ship, right? And we know that he. He did leather originally this monk mm-hmm. because, um, you know, I guess he was at, at the for the time that was like nylon. <laughs> well, so know. that's one of the things. I, it, yeah. Yeah. We'll look into it some more and I'd love to hear what maybe next time we can go more into the, the construction. So what I remember that. So they have these Karags that are canvas. Right. And those are still used today. Um and there is a history of leather boats, but he gets very fixated on the oxhide part of it because it says in the Navigatio yes. he used yeah forty nine oxhides. The guy said, I, "Yeah, because he said he kept putting the other leather. There was yeah. everything you do if you go out, you will die, you will sink." <laughs> well, and, and he then keeps they would say, "You need a year. You need a year to make this oxhide." Well, For and this, he wants to follow it. This, he wants to follow it to the letter. So it's oxhide tanned with oak bark. And so he's like, tan this oxhide. And I don't know, maybe that's, I mean, clearly they did it and it worked. But um, I wonder if that's like, because there's a lot of stuff in the Navigatio that seems to be allegorical or like biblical references to things. And I don't know mm-hmm. if that's supposed to be literally oxhide with, with oak leaf, oak bark. Like, I think he, he was like, we literally have to do this. Um, what does that mean? He kept saying like that was a dessert. <laughs> he kept saying oxhide with oak bark. Oh, yes. Oxhide, oxhide with... drenched in the fresh oak bark with a little and bit of like, flax. He made, and then it was like, there are guys in Ireland who are still just making it all day. And they're like, we've been waiting for you. Yeah. We've always <laughs> been waiting for you to be making your oxhide ship. Yes, we, we will happily hear. do this. I mean, that's how it was in Sinbad, too. It's like, I went to this person, and they said, yes, I will do this for you. And it's just, it seems like too good to be yes. true, how linear Well, this it's a little is. bit like, and I don't want to get into too much psychoanalyzing, but like, he's <laughs> a little bit out of touch, like... He has his own uh, yeah. image in his is in his head about what other people are thinking. Yeah, like this is, but they're all like, "Why are you coming to me? I don't understand. <laughs> Why do I have to make oxhide?" Yeah, I I didn't want to. We don't have to get into this too much, but I was feeling like big colonizer energy, like just very much like, "Oh, your Irish boat. Show me how to make the Irish." And they're just like. Well, we just make canoes with canvas. We're not going to make like a leather boat and put Celtic. You know, it's it's 1976. Yeah, but um, but anyways, yeah. So the uh, so there's the process of testing the leather, testing the leather for uh, its durability. There's tables in the back where he talks about. He makes it seem like it's Intel, like they're yeah. doing really vigorous. This is a vigorous technology. I'm like. Uh, we've invented other stuff since this. 
Yeah, there's literally a table called Table 3 Thong Testing Program. And if you can get through that without snickering, you're a better a better man. Better than man I. than I. But we but, all yeah, need there's that, so much you know, about leather a... thongs. Yeah. Um, okay. Basically, so they had to test the leather, this ox hide, and they had to tan it with this bark based on his his uh, perception from the navigatio, and then they had to stretch it onto the frame of the boat and let it and and they had to rub it with wool grease and one of the other hilarious things about it is that he's like we just are constantly smelling and tasting wool grease when we're on this Mm -hmm. ship because they have to do that to keep the um oxide in the right condition so like they're constantly having to regrease this ship. And I would love that. I would terrible. love to be. I would love to be on some sort of vessel that, if I didn't continuously do something to it, it would sink. Oh that yeah, just adds another layer of kind of to- of anxiety and terror. Yeah, yeah. If I didn't keep painting this thing at any moment, water is <laughs> yeah. going to start coming in. I mean, also, I was wondering when they said, they kept saying over and over, like, oak, <laughs> oak, uh, bark and treating this, treating this oak. with, I tell you, when I treat this tannin oak leather, <laughs> I, they made it seem like it was, you know, sort of, oh, just of the, uh, the, um, <laughs> the humors of the universe had right. made this concoction. But I'm like, well, someone knows why this is waterproof, right? I'm sure someone could say, this is the chemical process that's happening. I could tell you why, but we never really get that, right? We just get someone saying, it works. I know, because I I read it in an old book. (laughs) Yeah, I read it in a tome from the 6th century. Uh, There's something something not connecting there that doesn't quite, (laughs) like, you read it, was there no one else who had done a ship like that? I mean, I'd have to go back. I think you, you... so. I think it's a combination of things. So, like I said, there was there were leather ships, and maybe there were other ships that used ox hides, but I feel like this particular thing um, was less common. So there were samples right. of oak bark leather. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm just I'm just skimming through right now. How were um, we to cover the wood hull with ox hides? <laughs> what should we use for thread? How did we join the hides together? What method of stitching These are the was questions that? that puzzle a man. I mean, couldn't he have just put this in a pool and said, it floats? But you then know? you couldn't have... Well, and they did... Apparently, they also tested it in Boston at one point. I think after the voyage, they rode it around in the Charles Really? River. But yeah, so they did do other yeah, because they said something about after Newfoundland doing that. Can we but, drop um, tea off of this yeah, into like, the water? I took it to every historical harbor and port. No. So Andy, I was hoping we could go over some of the crew members, uh, uh kind of as if it were like a rock band. Uh, yeah, um, and that would be kind of has that same origin story of a rock band like the main leader you kind of think of john lennon was sort of the founder of of the beatles i'm not an expert on this but that's what people (laughs) kind of think of and you have the other members of the band that come along 
Paul, George, and Ringo. You have like the front man who's like the lead singer and the flashy guy, and then you got the drummer. Right. Well, I think you say the Rolling Stones is actually better because the Beatles were yeah. kind of like a little unit, but the Rolling yeah. Stones are like there were who even knows? I mean, I know, but <laughs> you know, Charlie Watts. How many people are thinking Charlie Watts? Yeah, he's yeah. the drummer. You know, yeah. there's so many. There was a, a lot of people in these rock right. bands. So, yeah. So let's let's look at. Um, this crew we've got our sure. lead guy our lead guitarist lead vocals <laughs> tim severin we've kind of covered him a little bit now you have you, do you want to why don't you go over what you've written is that easier <laughs> sure uh, i have tim, it i have it here <laughs> tim severin the narrator narrator captain navigator cinematographer radio operator phil collins impersonator occasional cook uh he had several different roles you know it's his ship like you said he's 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 the skipper uh he paints kind of a a jolly portrait of himself but he's also kind of the guy in charge and he's he actually seems kind of like a severe man in in some of these interviews and stuff i don't know how you know much fun it would be necessarily but he's the he's the leader like you said okay Right. Next up is uh, George Maloney or Maloney. Yeah, I don't know the pronunciation. Well, and the other thing is uh, the last names are kind of hard to find. You have to go dig them up. Like they don't have like a full roster. He introduces them at different times. There is a chapter where he talks about the original crew members. Um, yeah, so George is a, I believe he's British. He's a sailor. He's a soldier. He's there till the end. So I think of the original crew, there's just three that stay till the end. Um, and he's always referred to as like, George was the reliable one. You know, he was the, the guy with sailing experience. I guess he had worked organizing um, military for some government thing. I forget in, in another country, but yeah, he had experience there. And uh, I think Tim sees him as like, you know, I don't think this is a first mate or anything. There's only like a maximum of five people on this at a time. So, um, but he, he, he sees him as kind of like a reliable sailing master. Okay. Um, you, well, you wrote the sailing master and hardy military guy. <laughs> That's how then he's described. Yeah. Peter, Peter Mullet, the <laughs> metropolitan cockney cameraman. Departs yeah. at Ballyhusky on doctor's orders due <laughs> to muscle strain. This is like Spinal Tap. I mean, well, and I also list thought... of guys. <laughs> it was or it's like that them. guy, P- uh, the Pepe, the guy who walked across the World Trade Center. Oh yeah, like, yeah. Uh, there was a name, whole yeah. crew of people that helped him do that too. That's the same. It's the it's the crew. Yeah, yeah. It's well, and the other thing is, we were talking about it was kind of like a video game. Like it sort of feels like Oregon Trail or something. Yeah, like okay. people people join and leave. But yes, Peter is described as the cameraman, and I feel like Tim characterizes him as being like you know uh, from the city. You know, I think they mentioned him doing like uh, photo shoots and stuff and photography, and so he sees him as. And I can't speak to their real relationship, but at least in the book, like you read, it's like, Peter worried me, you know? Uh, so he's sort of seen as he's, he's kind of snarky, but he's less, less experienced with the sailing aspect. Although he has sailed some, but he's not like a military guy. 
Um, and he ends up leaving when they get to Ballyhorsky uh, in the northern part of Ireland for, I think, a very legitimate reason. And the book makes it sound like they had a very amicable conversation. And I would be like, I can't use the left side of my body because, it, you know, like it, it's like massively like hurting his chest and arm muscles. Um, right. Because of all the rowing they've been this doing. This is the, yeah. the stiff upper lip because you say, well, he has muscle strain. And the, he has he, muscle strain. He, well, <laughs> and it, the guy can't move. <laughs> he has no motion. Uh, carry away. Need to, I need to, <laughs> need to find it. I don't think it's precisely like this, but there's a thing where he's like, the doctor says I shouldn't row for two weeks. And Tim's like, all right, well, no problem. We'll, we'll do it after two weeks. And he's like, no, I can't do that. <laughs> Um, yeah he says no. he says the doctor said i've strained the muscles down the left side of my chest i'll have to have two weeks rest before i can go back aboard well that's not too bad the rest of us could take brendan up through the hebrides by ourselves and when you're rested you can join us in storn away or some other northern port ready for the long hop to the pharaohs and then peter says <laughs> looking more despondent it's no good, I'm afraid. The doctor's also warned that the same trouble is likely to recur if I put any strain on the muscles. And if it does, it could be more right. serious. And the next time, we might not be able to get to a hospital. And then Tim says, this was a blow. <laughs> In an emergency, I needed every member of the crew. So the, guy like, I did, the guy I didn't even like can't keep going. Yeah, the guy, the guy I made, I subtly made fun of for being... Not as you know. As... Suddenly, bells are ringing of James Mason in Twenty Thousand Leagues Under the Sea as <laughs> Captain Nemo. Yeah. yeah, you don't understand what's underneath this ocean. I am total command of this vessel. You know, it is funny because, like, I feel like a lot of captains in uh, popular media not good. Like, they don't come off as great. No, you know, they don't. Like... <laughs> I mean, don't that's have many great examples. That... Of, yeah. You know, there is a, a thing of I want to put myself in a situation where I'm the one in command of all mm -hmm. these people. Yeah. Anyway, I I So let's I love Tim Severin. The... Yeah. <laughs> I, I just these books are just like they there's just right. so much, like you said. So uh, uh Rolf Hansen, the drummer. No. <laughs> Rolf Hansen. The Norwegian maritime history expert departs and at Stornoway to go home for urgent. <laughs> I can't even get it out. He, those are literally what. <laughs> Start over. Departs at Stornoway to go home for personal, urgent personal reasons. Which are the literal that's words I say, in the book. Get me off this boat. I want to be on this thing. Mutiny. <laughs> oh Urgent personal. The personal reason is I don't want to be on this boat. I mean, I don't know what it was. Maybe it was something really serious. But the way that Tim writes about it, it and also well, he doesn't urgent. go into much detail. Well, he doesn't go into much detail, so it just sort of right. feels like uh, an omission. This is like we we could never stop talking. All yeah, right, now let's we're getting keep to moving. The I was gonna say the guy that I know Zeb's gonna have a lot. Arthur to say about this. Boots Magan, but it's like Magellan. He's trying. Oh, a little quiet, bit, yeah, yeah. And he's these are all color coded for the audience. Well, too, there's the a listener. reason for that. Members, they actually wore color coded clothes. <laughs> okay, the, and you matched the them up. Group. I don't know yeah. if they did with the later guys, but I was saying Severin could just say, "Blue, get your <laughs> get over here, blue." 
Get Green. Down. Yes. Start start painting the side of the tannin. Put tannin yeah. on the side of the get, leather. Get We're grease. Say, yeah. You know. Where's that wool grease? <laughs> grease. Time to grease the boat up. <laughs> Another wave swamping with, us. Whack it with oak bark. Um. Anyways, so yeah. boots. So the thing the about quiet boots, Irish fisherman. Yeah, the quiet fisherman. Uh, quiet Irish fisherman photographer and Zeb's favorite. So called Nick, so called because he has to order special size farming boots to fit his large feet, and because nicknames can't all be clever. <laughs> so Zeb, when we were watching the uh, documentary, was talking about how oh in the documentary God. they're like, and here comes Boots, who's well known, like his nickname is Boots because he wears boots, and they don't really explain. It just kind of seems like, all right, well that's kind of a dumb nickname. That's like calling somebody like hair, you know, or like hands or something yeah they happen to they've won them. they've run out of do we have anything to say about arthur magan just so he's described as the ladies man of the group uh whimsically and also that he's like a very quiet like he writes a letter that's basically like hi i've done these two things i can explain more in person please let me be on your crew and then he beats him and then they they hire him okay. and he's with them till the end as well now, are you willing to go on the boat <laughs> You do uh, see that there's very cramped... I mean, we gotta also talk about the quarters. Yeah, you can play bits of copyrighted material. I mean, a lot of a, it is just if they book. enforce it. Anyways, so... Okay. Wallace Clark, Commodore of the Irish Cruising Club, joins in Ballyhorsky as a short-term replacement, departs in Iona to get back to his job. Again, get me off the boat. Yeah, this these, is also kind all... of like a cast of characters that you read for a play because that's right. a specific thing that happens later when they lose Peter. They have Wallace. Sub this is like the thing of I only can get friends if I build a leather boat and make them go across <laughs> the ocean with me. <laughs> well, it's like that meme of like men will do X instead of go to therapy. Men will build right. a leather boat and force guys to get in it. <laughs> have friends yeah. don't you guys want to be my friend i want yeah. to go on this leather boat <laughs> i'm so, in a shoe you, <laughs> do you guys like the kinks what kind of <laughs> anyways a eden gannett keneal the jester oh that's why you were the jester yes. so nickname because he will eat anything and flaps his arms <laughs> around a while a lot, a lot. joins an i Oh my God! So nicknamed because he will eat anything and flaps his arms around. He's a nicknamed lot. the Gannet, like the bird, because the <laughs> Gannet birds eat anything. Joy, you know this is Iona. Captain humor, I guess. This is all cat. This is all wanting to live in a fantasy, a, a bit of a, a picaresque fantasy world. Yes, yeah, like uh, George Mallory going up Everest, and right, you know. So I, okay. I feel like you would because like Gannett is like the character where he's like he was the live wire. He says the jester and the live wire of the crew. Yeah. And oh, always, you're yeah, implying yeah. that would be me. Well, I I just feel like you'd appreciate him. Oh, I see. Departs yeah. after Iceland to run his charter business. Get me off the boat. Get the off the this boat. This could be a T-shirt. You get this get when you get off. Get me off the boat. <laughs> you get a, a you get a fine knits T-shirt that says "Get me off the boat." They go from Ireland, or sorry, they go from Iceland to Newfoundland. Fifty days on yeah. this boat with four guys. That was your one <laughs> shot. 
Iceland was your get off. You couldn't get off. Yeah. Do they touch base at uh, Greenland? No, they don't. Yeah. There's nowhere to go in Greenland. That was your time. That was your. T- and they make it seem like this is like, um, like little Lake Winnipesaukee. Like, oh, he got yeah. off at the, uh, <laughs> you know, at the dock, and we kept yeah, going we'll around. Yeah, we'll see you it's in like, a little bit. No, yeah. This is the Atlantic Ocean, and it's over you know? a month. It's over a month in a boat that could like collapse at any minute. <laughs> But yeah, the Iceland, we'll get to it later, but that's another this time. Is a, yeah, this is the kind just, of thing that just gives you like a surge of joy when you read about <laughs> these guys trapped on a boat. You can't take this too seriously. Uh, no, but I think we could recreate this. We could get a Coleman oh tent, a Coleman tent uh, put it out. We could be stuck in it and just say, you can't leave this and have a we, rope in the shape of a, a boat. reenactment. Yeah, and you this. say you can't leave this boat for thirty days. Like you can't <laughs> leave this little outline of rope, and you guys have to. And then we're gonna throw cold water on you. That sounds like a YouTube like challenge yeah. that we could do. Yeah, and then finally, I think Trondor. The best, yeah, go ahead. I the most interesting guy uh, is Trondor Patterson. I think is how you pronounce. Yeah, it. we're gonna try and get him. <laughs> I mean, he's still alive. He's still around. How uh, would we can, get him? How can we contact him? When they describe him, and again, we'll go into it, but when Tim meets him, he keeps calling him a Neptune. And he, like, a Neptune. He's like, this Neptune was staring at me. And the guy, because he doesn't speak much, Trondor doesn't speak much English, Trondor's girlfriend has to introduce him to Tim. And his first impression, because Trondor has huge beard, huge bushy hair, and he's like, this Neptune of the sea has come here and he's like a sketch artist and he's a real artist and sculptor. And you could, you can go to his website and see like his stuff. And apparently yeah, we're going to try and I'm on it. Yeah. We're going to see, see if we can get his email, but all the stuff he does is wild. And he wears like this giant cable knit sweater. He catches, he like spears these, I think they're birds, the fulmars. Uh, he's, and oh he spears boy. whales and all that. Like, and he eats <laughs> whale blubber and, Gives one to Gannett. It's like we finally found something Gannett didn't want to eat. Yeah, he has a a man crush on this guy. It feels sure. yeah, it feels like he's a well because again that kind of manliness is like I see him as a yeah. He's guy. looking for something. This is like Thoreau who said many men go fishing and fish all day, not realizing it's not the fish they're after. Oh yes. It's the... And that was the only wise thing Thoreau ever said. I was going to say, yes, we're quoting Thoreau. Thoreau, the seventh member of the... No. Do you have the diagram gonna... in front of you? Yeah. I'm going to say, go ahead and tell me what... So uh, there's two shelters. There's a three-man shelter and a two-man shelter. Um, the two-man shelter, I believe, is at the front of the boat. The bow, I think, that's the front of the boat. And the... Uh, or the front of the ship. And the second shelter is uh, behind the mainmast. Um, yep. These shelters have, like, they're kind of, like, nested in there. Um, they're not, like, hanging cots, but they're basically, like, cots that they're sleeping on. They have sleeping bags. And they have containers of food and stuff stuck under there. I mean, they're, it's very close quarters. Um, and... So at different times, you know, they take shifts. They mention, I think there's a Faroese sh- fishing thing where they do shifts so that only 
you know, the, so everybody can take turns and get rest. And so there's a certain amount of people in the shelter um, at any moment. But uh, yeah, it seems extremely cramped. And also there's parts where the boat gets swamped with water. And so water gets into the shelter at one point and it, it ruins some of their things that they have, some of the food and things that they were carrying around. Um, and in the documentary, yeah, it just looks extremely close. I, I think it was extremely close and the big crazy thing about that is, according to Tim Severin and according to the Navigatio, Brendan was said to have 14 crewmen. And so he's like, well, they could have fit 14 men on this thing. And he kind of just brushes by that later and just like they would have it would have been very uncomfortable, but they would have done it because they were monks. And I was like, I, I feel like that would have been, I don't know, maybe a breaking point for somebody, but I think you 14 could... men in a ship that barely fits five. Well, I think we could make one presumption about what that could, what could have happened there. <laughs> yeah. Which is some of them died. Yeah. Yeah. It was not a tenable situation. Well, if and that really also, true. It, like I said, it seems ridiculous that he would take this into the hardest part of the voyage. Sounds like the stretch from Iceland to uh, Canada to Newfoundland. And like he, they had four people <laughs> that was lower than their main quota. Um, and they'd been picking up people all along the way, but they still what? went for it. But just does it say 14? Does it say that amount in the Navigatio? It says Brendan took 14. So that's 15. Yes. Including, including him. him. So he had a crew of 14, not counting him. Yeah. And how do we know the dimensions of the ship? I believe they are in the Navigatio, or there's there's reference to it, which they extrapolated from it. Maybe they were small monks. <laughs> I mean, there is that theory, this... right, that people were smaller in. Have you considered have that they were small monks that were helping? <laughs> what about like children? Oh, like Not, they, like Brendan was really like twelve when he did this. No, I think we don't like know that. exactly when this is supposed to happen because. Spoiler alert, I don't think it actually happened. <laughs> you don't think, think it happened? Oh, so I don't now we're skipping ahead. No, we'll we'll go over this in another voyage. I think it's an amalgamation. I mean, Zeb basically said <laughs> it. I think voyage. it's an amalgamation of he did voyages around um, the Faroe Islands. and That's maybe good enough, as as though. That's well, yeah, but it's different me. from North America. <laughs> well, so, what is it? what line is it that's saying it's North America? It doesn't say it in the original, but Tim believes that it is. Tim Severin. Right. Yeah, he that's his just... argument. And he makes an argument. And he's, he says, like, he acknowledges that, you know, it's it's going to have to be on faith to some extent. But, yeah, he, he claims that the ev- there's enough evidence there that he says that they did go to North America. This is the most I would say about it. Yes. In, in terms of for now, and we can stop, is... Yeah. Um, having done some sailing and things thing uh things just happen where you're caught in a vortex you're caught in a stream so it could have happened by accident like they didn't even mean to and that's what they were sucked over to america and then they didn't really even understand what it was and then they sailed home but that's the most that i would venture it's possible it well he talks about the gulf stream on the way back could have helped them return because the 
but it sounds like it was it's a cozy yeah i mean it's a cozy idea like all way back when they got in a boat and they sailed all the way (laughs) over and they had this lovely time and they had you know ale wonderful ale and wheat ale and they had bread to eat and (laughs) on the in the navigatio they talk about there was an island where they had fruits that were like grapes the size of apples that they would eat and that would feed you for eight days like right yeah well i should (laughs) i feel bad this is what i'm gonna start i'm gonna start saying that about everything now when i'm like i have an urgent if i have to go to the bathroom i have an urgent I feel bad because what if it was like I don't know, his, reason. like somebody died or something, like something. No, it serious, was just he wanted off the ship. It's so obvious. <laughs> My favorite thing I think to be on that ship is if someone said to me, instead of going on like a Walt Disney cruise, you're gonna you're gonna be on the leather ship, the leather shoe. <laughs> you don't have to do anything. You don't have to put any tannin on the sinking ship. Yeah. You don't have to put anything up. I mean. No one has been this irreverent about Tim Severin ever. Yeah, and I wonder, well, because it's it's not something, like I said, people don't talk about him. Well, they don't talk about it, and you're not immediately immediately (laughs) thinking to be finding it ridiculous. You're supposed to be like, this is so fascinating i mean well, i am fascinated is, but it's it's fascinating and absurd and honestly like i think we can make fun of him He's but i want to have a cruise ship yeah yeah he had a bit yeah. of a i'm calling him captain nemo from now on yeah i mean i i think, I think and I, I know you said, like, he's dead, we afford him respect, but on the opposite end, he's dead, he can't sue us, so, you know. We can... <laughs> well, we have to get this guy, we gotta get an Icelandic translator, and get Faroese. this guy. Yeah, yeah, and, oh, Faroese. Faroese, is that... which I think is related part of, part of, what country, Norway? Faroe Islands, I think, are a territory of Denmark? So yeah, well, we yeah look, I we I need look to look up what it. it sounds like because I was trying to find a Google Faroese to English. But again, why, why why was he in Iceland? Where what is that where he went to? Yeah, is he it, was like in the said, Faroe Islands. This I is just, the Lake Winnipesaukee version <laughs> of the. They North would sea. show up, and according to Tim Severn, they would show up, and then people would just be like, "I want to be on your boat." It's like, a happening, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's like join. a bunch of mimes doing something in Central Park. You're like, oh, guys, look, we got to go see whatever that is. It's a ship that, made of leather. It's a shoe. That, <laughs> and it was all funded by the leather workers of Ireland. Yeah. I, I came up to them and told them I was uh, sailing. And no, I I, I, uh, I cherish this. I, yeah. I, no, I, I, what was I? I guess they're wrapping up with that. There's so much more to say. I know. I'm just happy. Thanks for having me on. I do appreciate this. Thank you, Andy and Zeb, for joining me in exploring the story of Tim Severin's The Brendan Voyage. And thank you for listening to Letters and Legends. This podcast is produced by me, Trevor Maloof. Copyright 2022. Tune in for more soon. Goodbye.